If you have your Bible, Hunter McCaskill is going to come in just a moment. He'll be preaching out of the book of Acts, chapter 5, so that he doesn't have to introduce himself. I'm going to introduce him for you. Hunter gives hope to all of us who have elementary school children because we remember how he was in elementary school. We remember how he was in middle school. We are so grateful that in the last two years, God has done work in his heart and life. God has done great things in this young man's life. Uh, On Youth Sunday, we do things differently every year. Sometimes it's a lot of students in front of you, and sometimes it's not as many. I hope you noticed there were a lot of kids playing in our praise praise band this morning. Uh, This morning, Hunter is going to preach to you. I want to remind you that as he comes, we come to hear not a preacher. We come to hear the Word of God. And we don't have a performer in front of you. We have a young man who is doing his best to exposit the Word of God. And I can assure you he has put in hours of labor into this effort. And uh, Adam has worked diligently with him. And uh, we're excited to have him come to preach his very first sermon. So Hunter, if at this time you would come. I'm very proud of this young man and excited for all that God has in store. All right, so like you just said, I'll be preaching from Acts chapter 5, verses 33 through 42. So if you aren't there yet, um, while you're turning there, I want to reiterate what Pastor Adam, wherever he went, just recently said that, well, first of all, congrats to all the seniors. We're all going to miss y'all and can't wait to see what y'all do. And like he said, you're only going to fight alone if you choose to. We're all here for y'all. Wherever, whenever you need us. And so hopefully most of y'all are there. So if you don't mind, please standing while we read. All right, Acts chapter 5, verses 33 through 42. When they had heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be taken outside for a little while. He said to them, Men of Israel, be careful about what you're about to do to these men. Some time ago, Thetis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all of his followers dispersed, and came to nothing. After this man, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census, and attracted a following. He also perished, and all of his followers were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, stay away from these men, and leave them alone. For this plan is of, for this plan is of, human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow it and them. You may even be found fighting against God. They were all persuaded by him after they called the the apostles and had them flogged and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and release them. They went out from the presence of the Sahedrin rejoicing, for they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on the behalf of the name. Every day in the temple and in various homes, they continue teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Let's pray. Dear, thank you for this day, and thank you for letting us all be here and to study and look at your word and what you have to say to us. And just please help us all to take something from this and to go out rejoicing your name everywhere we go. Amen. The title of the sermon this morning is The Threat We All Face. And the question we want to consider is how to overcome that threat. Andrew Vanderville, or Brother Andrew as many call him, is a Dutch Christian missionary known for, the, known for smuggling Bibles into the communist countries at the height of the Cold War. 
One of the most loved Brother Andrew's stories recounts a risky incident from early in his ministry. On this occasion, Brother Andrew approached the Romanian border in his car, packed with what were illegal Bibles. The threat was real. He could have been detained, prosecuted, and who knows what. His only hope was that the border guard would move swiftly and not pay him much attention. Just as he was hoping this, Brother Andrew saw the guard in front of him stopped at the line. He watched in anticipation as the vehicle owners were forced to take out all the contents of the car and spread them on the ground for inspection. The next three cars the, um, received the following treatment, and then the fourth car inspection lasting the longest. Brother Andrew prayed and asked for a miracle, and the idea he remembered having was this. Be bold. He, so he took some of the Bibles and left them in the open where they could be seen. He knew the only way he would get through this was by God, so he surrendered the situation to God. So when the guards ushered Andrew forward, he handed his guard his passport and waited. The guard looked at Brother Andrew's passport and waved him on in less than 30 seconds. As he started the engine and pulled away, Brother Andrew knew he just faced a real threat, and God was working and in control the whole time. This story resembles the apostle's struggle in the passage. Here's how this breaks down. Number one this morning. Face the threat. The, gospel's threat. the gospel threatens man-made power. Often in our lives, we face a power that is completely man-made, and the fear we feel is self-imposed. We may face the fear of living out our faith and then worrying about what others think. We may face the fear of uncertainty, not being saved by Jesus, and what that will mean eternally. Both instances whether you're a believer and, fear, and fearful of living your faith or not a believer and uncertain of the eternal consequences of your sin. Both fears are self-imposed because, of, because a right relationship with the Lord is both answers. Trust Him in proclamation and trust Him in salvation. This morning, we, we see both sides of this situation lived out in the text we read. In this case, the man-made power comes from the way, by the way of the Sanhedrin Council, the Jewish authority in the first century. The, Sanhedrins or, the Sanhedrin were followers of the tradition, the traditions of their fathers. And though they had access, knew, and studied, and were self-proclaimed experts of God's law, the Old Testament, they found, or they followed the traditions of their fathers over the revelation of God. These were men who were all about looks, power, money, and status. When you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus crossed swords with them often. They are those who pronounce the seven woes against in Matthew's 23, or Matthew 23. In those verses, Jesus describes these men as those that teach God's word about God, but don't love God, that preach God, but do not convert people to a religion based on his word. Jesus said the Pharisees would rather take an oath to gold because they respected gold more than they respected God. They taught the word, but not, did not practice what they taught. They appeared to be clean on the outside, but were dirty inside. They displayed themselves as righteous, but in truth, they were wicked and were cut from the same clothes as their ancestors that murdered the prophets in the Old Testament. The disdain went both ways. In the eyes of the Pharisees, God was the opposite of what they were expecting. They wanted the Messiah to be another David, 
another ruler conquer, or just someone to, or someone to kick Rome out of the promised land. So, oh, Jesus was the opposite of what they were expecting, and as dedicated as they were to the Old Testament. They missed the truth that Jesus was going to save us from our sin, from the death we all deserve. They missed Isaiah 53, where it says the Messiah will be pierced from our transgressions. He was cursed for our iniquities. Upon him was the casemist that brought us peace, and his wounds we are healed. So we've learned in our study of Acts, that, and as we read this passage, following Jesus means you'll face a threat. And when it comes to facing the threat of those that oppose Jesus, remember that this threat is the same today as it was back then for the apostles. It's man-made power versus God. Here's a powerful implication of this passage in an Acts we studied for so far. Those that opposed the disciples that didn't believe in Jesus and did everything that they could to stop those that did from sharing this message, they never once said the message, the gospel, was wrong untrue, but rather they opposed the gospel because those that proclaimed it, because they didn't go, it didn't go with their narrative. The, things that they, the way they wanted things, that's the threat, the loss of power and control, the giving up of the way you want things to be and dying to yourself and picking up your cross daily. You have to face that threat in the world and maybe even face that threat in your own heart. What the apostles were willing to endure for the sake of the gospel is incredible. You can endure much when you believe, in the, believe the cause is worth it. They knew Jesus had the Holy Spirit living in them. They believed wholeheartedly in their cause. They faced the threat and could overcome because of the value he had placed, they had placed on the commands of Jesus and their relationship with him. Secondly this morning, God is in control. When it comes to facing the threat, remember, God is in control. So, so great is the power of God, and so perfect is his plan, that even when the opposition believes they've won, God overcomes every time. Scottish writer and pastor James Stewart said this about God's control and the victory won by Jesus. It is a glorious phrase of the New Testament, that he led captivity captive, the very achievements of his foes he used for their defeat. He compelled their dark achievements to subserve his end, not theirs. They nailed him to a tree, not knowing that that very act they were bringing the world to his feet. They gave him a cross, not guessing that he would make it a throne. They flung him outside the gates to die, not knowing that it would be the very moment they were lifting the gates of the universe to let the king of glory come in. They thought to root out his doctrines, not understanding they were implementing imperishably in the hearts of men the very name they intended to destroy. They thought they had defeated God with his back to the wall, pinned and helpless, and defeated. They did not know that it was God himself who had tracked them down. He did not conquer in spite of dark mystery of evil. He conquered through it. He worked through the evil, not around it. Sometimes God is going to take a problem out of your life as soon as you ask him to. Other times he's going to pull you straight through that problem and see how much you trust him. Consider the timing and the plan of God's progress. God progressing the truth, proclaimed by not one of the apostles, but rather one of the Pharisees, a member of the Sahedrin. Those that arrested the apostles and then defended, are then defended by truth, because all truth is God's truth. A man named Gamaliel stands up and says, 
If it is not of God, you can't stop it. The power the Pharisees so desperately clung to was being torn from their hands by a force they didn't recognize, and they could not stop. Gamaliel was a leader. He was held in honor by all, and as we read in verse 34, stands up at just the right time when things were getting out of hand, when they wanted to kill them. Gamaliel stands and delivers the first speech by a non-Christian in Luke, recorded in Acts, the life-saving truth. If God is doing it, you can't stop it. Gamaliel's counsel helps us to understand that the unbelieving Jews were view, viewing the apostles' claims. There were others in times past who made similar claims or started their own movements against the Sahedrin. Men named Thetis and Judas, the, these other men besides the apostles, had their own followers that insisted that their, leader, their leaders were and their claims had eventually proven to be false. Jesus to them was no more special than Thetis or Judas, but God was in control. But we know different. Third this morning, rejoice to endure. Rejoicing, rejoice in being part of God's forward-moving plan. God's plan is moving forward, and persecution is part of it. And it's part of what it's going to be to follow Jesus. He warned his followers in John 15, 20, that a servant is no greater than its master. If they are persecuted persecuting me, then they will persecute you. We read at the end of this passage that the apostles were excited to get arrested, beaten, and threatened. I highly doubt anyone wakes up in the morning and goes, man, today is just a good day to be arrested or beaten, especially for my faith. That's not what we think, because most often our flesh calls us toward a life of ease, a life of comfort, and that's not the life we read about next. It's not the life of the first followers of Jesus, and it can't be ours. Jesus does not call us to a life of ease. As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite. Here's what you can't miss. The disciples were willing to be beaten for proclaiming the gospel, for their belief in Jesus. Why? Because if you are willing to go through a lot, you are willing to go through a lot when the cause is worth it. The apostles were sent outside as they waited. And for all they knew, Gamaliel could have been explaining a better way for them to be killed. But... The fact that they were threatened, commanded not to share the gospel, not to speak in the name of Jesus, did not demoralize them at all. Instead, they continued teaching and preaching every day in public, at the temple, and from house to house. Their hearts were in it because of their relationship with Jesus, their dedication to obedience, and their de dedication to one another. They went through. They did. They proclaimed. They got beaten. They got arrested together. The power, the, that's power. There's power in being together, and you can face the threat. Rejoice through the struggle together. Romans 12 teaches us that we are knit together, want, knit together one to another. We're not meant to fight alone. You should trust, you should trust that man-made power can't overcome God's plan, that he's in control, that if you rejoice and go through together, you can make it. We're all a part of this his unstoppable plan. God is the only one in control. How else would those Bibles gotten across that border with Brother Andrew or the apostles released because of their opposition stood up and proclaimed the truth? The gospel the apostles proclaimed is true and the need the gospel meets is still the same today. Gamaliel was right. If it is of God, you can't stop it. He was right, and here's how we know. 
Remember what he said about the others, Thetis, Judas, who had followers that thought they were great and eventually the movements were stopped? Well, today, this morning, we're roughly 6,000 miles and 2,000 years later. And because Jesus is so great, the gospel is real. And the life, the life can be had if you, as Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If you do know Jesus and your fears keep you from proclaiming the gospel, consider the disciples were beaten, and yet they still left happier and more faithful than they came. It is the greatest honor to be persecuted for proclaiming the gospel. So don't hide when it happens to you. We all have this dream or a place, perfect time, place, situation where we are willing to suffer and proclaim God's word. But there is no right place. We need to be willing to sacrifice our time in every situation for Jesus because following Jesus is not a convenience. It's always an inconvenience. R.C. Sproul said this about convenience. What must our Lord think of us if his work and his witness depended upon the convenience of his people? The truth is that every advance that we make for God and for his cause must be made at our inconvenience. If it does not inconvenience us at all, there is no cross in it. If you have not been able to reduce spirit, if we haven't been able to reduce spiritually to a smooth pattern and it costs us nothing, no disturbance, no bother, and no element of sacrifice in it, we are not getting anywhere with God. We have stopped and pitched our unworthy tent halfway between the swamp and the peak. Has there ever been a cross that was convenient? If there ever if there's ever a convenient way to die to oneself, I've never heard of any. And judgment is not going to be a matter of convenience either. Yet we look around for convenience, thinking we can reach the mountain peak conveniently without going through the trouble or danger to ourselves. Actually, mountain climbers are always in peril, and they are always advancing at their inconvenience. If you've put off telling people about Jesus because you're waiting for the perfect time, when it's convenient, you'll be waiting a while. If you've put off trusting Jesus because you're willing to wait to get some things together, waiting for life to settle down, wanting to kick a habit, or get where you think you need to be to come to Jesus, you might be waiting too long. Jesus didn't die for perfect people. He died for sinners, and today is your day to choose. As we look at uh, coming to a conclusion this morning, I want to reiterate something that Hunter said and build off of it for just a moment. Maliel warned the Sanhedrin that if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. The truth of the matter is, as you've come together this morning, listen to a 17-year-old boy preach a sermon. Many of you who are many times older than him would love the opportunity right now to sort of put off anything that he said because he's really not experienced much of life. And the reality is, if everything that he said is man-made, then you can just ignore it. If, if everything that he had to say is just the experience of a 17-year-old kid, then you can just walk away. But if the things that he had to say this morning are of the Lord, then the reality is that you have to face them square on. Regardless of whether it came from a 17-year-old or a 41-year-old or an 87-year-old or if a donkey that Balaam was riding on stood in front of you and spoke, we all have a responsibility to come face-to-face with the Word of God, the plan of God, and the purpose of God. Hunter challenged us this morning to question, how have you overcome man-made power? 
And he warned us that in this passage we see not only the threat that comes from outside, but the fear that often comes from within us. This morning, for some of you, you've heard this message. And the truth of the matter is, the man-made threat that you've experienced is your own pride as you've sought to reject that which came from the mouth of a very young man. You've allowed your pride to get in the way, and you said, I can't be challenged by that. I stand before you to remind you that God's in control. And that His Word is true regardless of where it comes from or how it is delivered to you this morning. As we come to a time of invitation, here's the reality for you. You have to face Gamaliel's words head on. If these are man-made words, there's nothing for you to worry about. But here's the reality. If these are indeed the words of the Lord inspired by the Holy Spirit of God and empowered by God's Holy Spirit among us, and even coming from the mouth of a 17-year-old boy, they are God's words. And when we encounter God's word, we are forced to wrestle with and reckon with God's word. None of us are allowed to come face-to-face with the word of the Lord and walk away unchanged. The word requires from us a response. Moses stood before a burning bush, and the Lord spoke. And when God spoke, Moses had two choices, didn't he? God said, take off your shoes because the place where you're standing is holy ground. Moses could have said, no, I don't think so. I'm out of here. Now, that probably wouldn't have been safe on his part. Or Moses could have obeyed. Who are you, Lord? Every time that we encounter the word of the Lord, we're faced with a decision. And so this morning, I stand before you to tell you that you're faced with a decision. You're faced with a decision. A decision of whether or not you're willing to agree, not only in principle, but in purpose and in action, that following Jesus is inconvenient, that it is often uncomfortable, and it requires us to step out of our comfort zone. Following Jesus will sometimes put us in places where we are forced to endure. Will we rejoice in that endurance? Rejoice in the opportunities that we have to serve the Lord in the places where He's put us. A young man stood before you this morning trembling, but rejoicing with the opportunity that God gave him to proclaim the Word of God. This morning I challenge you. Would you be willing to give your heart to Christ today? You say, I can't do that after a 17-year-old kid preached. Did you hear what that 17-year-old kid had to say? We must die to self. And follow Jesus. Are you willing to die to your pride this morning? Die to your sin? And find life and hope in Jesus Christ. That offers its sin to you today. No matter where you've been, what you've done, or where you've come from. It doesn't matter this morning if you're 7 or 27 or 77. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But Jesus Christ died that you may have life everlasting. Will it be a little bit inconvenient and awkward for you to step out today and give your life to Jesus? Absolutely. But is it worth it? Absolutely. In just a moment we're going to stand and I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite you to come this morning. I'm going to invite you to overcome the fear, the man-made threats, to give your life to Jesus Christ. 
He's enough. And he will save you. And watch this. He doesn't care where you've been either. He loves you right where you are and offers for you salvation. No matter what you've done or where you've been, he will save you today. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for the word of God that has been proclaimed. I thank you, Lord, that your word never returns void. So, Father God, as we stand to sing in just a moment, Father God, we sing rejoicing in a God who is often inconvenient but always powerful. A God who is often difficult to follow but is always loving. A God who is beyond our understanding but who understands every inch of our being. A God that we struggle to know, but a God who knows every hair on our heads. A God who we've sinned against over and over and over again, but a God who sent His Son to die that we might be made right with Him. We stand to praise You this morning, Lord God, and I pray that You would move among us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?